0: For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Tonight, my message is on Pentecost. That's the title of the message, Pentecost. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of studying your word together tonight, and we do so in the mighty name of Jesus. We invite your Holy Spirit to be our teacher and guide to anoint our ears to hear accurately, our hearts to receive and minds to be open to the knowledge of the truth that delivers us and makes us free. We thank you, dear Father God, for changing us by what we hear from glory to glory and conforming us to the very image of Jesus that we might become that for which he has apprehended each and every one of us. Father, we thank you so much tonight, right now, for it all. Give you all the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise ye the Lord. I don't know about you, but I can't imagine going through a calendar year here at our church and not celebrating two of the most important events to occur in our Christian experience. Number one, the birth of Christ, Christmas, celebrating the hypostatic union of deity and humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. And as a matter of fact, just to prepare for that takes quite a while. When you have a Christmas pageant and so on, putting things together Services and etc., it takes time, and so we focus on that particular event and that day, Christmas Day. We, of course, have a Christmas Eve service that we celebrate the Lord's Supper and honor the Lord as we do, remembering Him. But then, secondly, we also know another event is Easter Sunday, really, it's Resurrection Sunday, and that's the time we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and His victory over death, hell, and the grave. As we once again echo those words, I am he that liveth and was dead, but behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I hold the keys of death and hell. And so we thank God for that. And we wouldn't think about going through the year without celebrating Christmas or Easter. Well, there's a third event that really sometimes gets overlooked in Christian circles, and that's coming up this particular Sunday, May the 31st, and that's called Pentecost Sunday. It's the fourth spring feast uh as far as the jewish feasts are concerned so the fourth one being pentecost sunday 50 days of course after passover is when that's celebrated and they usually celebrate it with all the things they're required to do as far as the celebration is concerned but for us this day celebrates the descent of the holy spirit in that upper room it was an upper room just a a simple plain upper room where the spirit of god fell upon hungry hearts that long for and desire to experience the promise of the Father that Jesus mentioned to them before he ascended. He said, behold, you're going to receive the promise of the Father. The Holy Spirit will descend upon you, and of course, you'll be filled with Holy Ghost power. Well, before this occurred, these individuals were full of fear and not faith. They were concerned, of course, for their lives because of what was taking place in Jerusalem, when it comes to believers. Well, after Pentecost, they went from being fearful to being courageous to represent Jesus well, continue his work upon the earth, and basically preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people that are right there in the city where they put Jesus to death. Now, we see what took place that enabled them to go from the place of being fearful to being full of faith, and it's found in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. In Acts chapter 1, and verse 8, we read, But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. What does that mean? Well, before the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you don't have that word power operating in your life. It's the word dunamis in the Greek 1411 in your Strongest Concordance, and it means the supernatural power of the living God to come upon you. Why? And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, in Judea, and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. So they were going to be empowered from on high. And when that power came into their lives, they were equipped to do the work of Jesus and to continue the ministry he began when he was here upon the earth. As a matter of fact, you could say they went from cowards to being courageous. Look in the book of Matthew, chapter 26, and we point out here an individual that really we know a lot about because he was very outspoken. And we see that in Scripture. Of course, his name is Peter. And of course, Peter just spewed out things from his mouth quickly, sometimes not thinking about what he was saying. He's the one that jumped out of the boat, tried to walk on water, and so on. Now Peter sat without in the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also was with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath. I do not know the man. And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man and immediately the cock crew and peter remembered the word of jesus which said unto him before the crop crow thou shalt deny me thrice and he went out and wept bitterly here we see peter before pentecost and once again he just says things without thinking sometimes not recognizing or realizing the challenges he's going to face by saying what he says and when he's confronted. With these individuals that said he was with Jesus, what does he say? No, I don't know him. Got to the point that he even cursed. Why? Because he was afraid for his life. Look at Luke's rendition of the same text. In 22, verse 59, and about the space of one hour after another confidently affirmed, saying of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou And immediately while he spake, the cock crew and the Lord, Lord, notice this, the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. Imagine this as Jesus is making his way. He turns to look at Peter and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. He fell short of what he believed he could possibly do. Why? He was overcome by fear. What was going to happen to Jesus could possibly happen to him because he was a follower of Jesus. Well, we thank God the story gets better. In John's Gospel, chapter 21, notice in verse 15 through 19, Jesus restores Peter. For denying him three times, he restores him. And reveals to him certain things. Notice this. So when they had dined, Jesus saith unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou more than me more than these? He saith unto him, Yeah, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yeah, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto you, when you were young, thou girdest thyself, and walkst whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, follow me. Of course, I left out the next verses to talk about, well, if I'm going to do that, Peter says, what about John? What's he going to do? And Jesus said to him, mind your own business. What I got for John belongs to John. What I got for you is what I want you to do. So what did he want him to do? He wanted to feed his sheep. His life mission was to feed the people the word of God. And he also reveals to him what death he would die. And we know the story at least. We understand that Peter, he didn't want to be crucified as his savior was. So he was crucified upside down. But anyhow, this pain Peter, he received a life transforming experience on the day of Pentecost. When the power of God came upon him and transformed him from being a coward to being courageous. How do I know that? Look in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we see something happening on the day of Pentecost. These same 120 people are up there in this upper room. It's a back street upper room. And why is this important? Because you see the day of Pentecost is a day that the Jewish people celebrate Pentecost. And this feast? is going on in the temple, they're doing certain things that they're supposed to be doing during that time, and you would think that if the power of God was going to fall anywhere, it would be in the elaborate temple among the people that were doing service for God. But no, it didn't fall there. It falls in a back street upper room where some people, 120, are gathered together, no six feet distancing in that room, but anyhow, there they are together together, And they're celebrating and they're worshiping and they're studying the word of God. And what happens? The power of God falls. Let's read about it. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now here we have a picture of unity among the people in one accord in the upper room, which gave place to the ministry of the Holy Spirit to fall, not in the elaborate temple, but in this back street upper room among these 120 people. And by the way, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. She was a Pentecostal who spoke with other tongues, just to let you know that. Well... Here's what happens, beginning at verse 14, this is the first sermon preached, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, and is from the lips of Peter in the same town where he was afraid to say to anyone that I know him. He wouldn't even identify with him. But here he is, publicly and boldly and fearlessly and courageously, Preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to all the people that are gathered together for Pentecost. Well, beginning at verse 14, we read. I want to give it all to you. It's, it's powerful. But Peter, standing up even uh, with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said to them, You men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it's but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass. In the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit. And they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above. And signs in the earth beneath. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness. And the moon into blood. Before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass. That whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You men of Israel... Hear these words. Now remember, he's in Jerusalem, talking to these Israelites, these Jewish people, about Jesus and his resurrection. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders, which they couldn't deny, and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. Him, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. "...whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope. Why? Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither will you suffer thine holy one to see corruption." Thou hast made known to me the way of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne... He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which you now see and hear. Think about this transformation. Here is a man who's afraid of a couple of women that come up to him and say, we know that you were with Jesus. You must be one of his uh, disciples or followers. And he says, I don't even know him. What are you talking about? He's afraid of being arrested for his belief in Christ. Now, after the Spirit of God falls upon him, he's transformed from being a coward who's fearful to who's courageous and fearless. Full of faith, he stands up before the crowd right there in Jerusalem. And he proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ for the first time. And what success he had. Over at least about 3,000 individuals gave their hearts and lives to Jesus. They were added to the church. Man, what a transformation. His unction to function came from the spirit of the living God that came upon him on the day of Pentecost. So that dunamis, that miracle-working power, comes from the Spirit of God. Faith comes through the Word. Power comes by the Spirit. Well, that power is not just for those apostles or or disciples. A hundred of twenty of them, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. But look in Acts chapter 2, verse 37 through 39, as we continue in what was taught. He goes on to say, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you, and to your children, yet unborn, and to all that are afar off, that includes us, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So this Holy Ghost power is not just for the first generation people. It's for every generation. It's for the entire church age. Until we hear that trumpet sound and we are caught up to meet the Lord in the air, we are living in that time of the Gentiles and the church age. And the Spirit of God is here to empower each and every one of us and to equip us to do the work of God, the will of the Father, carry out his life mission for all of us, and also to experience transformation in our lives. As a matter of fact, on that day, a new dynamic occurred. Look in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 20. With me, if you don't mind. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. This is from the New Living Translation. What is your request, he asked. She replied... In your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you. One on the right and the other on the left. Think about that. Jesus said that's not his call. But the point I want to make is that before Pentecost, they were self-willed and self-promoting people. They wanted the best seats in the kingdom. One on the right, one on the left. Also... They wanted to exclude others from their group. Look in Mark chapter 9. They were governed by carnality and fleshly desires. Overcome, praise God, by pride and many other forces we could talk about, but we won't get into. John said to Jesus, teacher, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group. Think about that. Our little clique's here, our little clique's there, our little group is here. They're not in our group. And what does Jesus say? Don't stop him. Jesus said, no one who performs a miracle in my name will soon be able to speak evil of me. Anyone who is not against us is for us. So they didn't want them to be a part of the group. And Jesus said, no, that's not right. Others... Wanted to cook or to fry some people. Look in Luke's gospel chapter 9. Think about what we're dealing with here. Sometimes we think the apostles are these people that are, you know, so divine that they don't make any mistakes or they don't have any flesh to deal with or emotions. But look at this. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. So they went on to another village. Imagine that. They want fire to fall from heaven to burn up these people. Unbelievable. Then, of course, we have other manifestations of carnality. We've got Peter who cut off a man's ear. We've got those who tried to prevent children to get to Jesus. And Jesus said, please let them come to me. I want to bless them. You've got others who fought over who's going to be the greatest in heaven or in his kingdom. And Jesus said, look, you want to be great? Be a servant. Serve. Humble yourself and serve if you want greatness in your life. Look in Acts chapter 2. All that was before Pentecost. Look at verses 46 and 47 from the New Living Translation. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. What a transformation from, I want it my way, I want it my way, I'm going to be the greatest, call down fire from heaven, cut off a man's ear, and so on and so forth. But now all of a sudden their whole focus changes. Their whole heart attitude changes. You see, they've got something added to them, a new dynamic in their hearts and in their lives. And as a result, what happens? They share meals with one another. They're generous toward one another. They're welcoming toward other people. And if you recall the story in Acts chapter three, when John and Peter, Peter and John went to the temple about the hour of prayer being the ninth hour and a certain man laid from his mother's womb was carried to his late at the t- gate of the temple called beautiful, who seeing Peter and John about to enter the temple asking, all of them said, look on us. And that's what Peter said. And he said, expecting to receive something from them and peter said silver and gold have i none but such as i have will i give you and in the name of jesus he had him rise up and walk he was healed by faith in the power of the name of jesus but my point is this peter and john now instead of john outrunning peter to get to the grave site when jesus was resurrected from the dead to prove he was quicker on his feet now they're side by side working together to carry out the will of the uh, of, of the father and the work of jesus so now we see them working together, a new dynamic. Their hearts are changed. It's no longer all about me. It's all about us working to, together to achieve what God has called us to do. Look at Acts chapter, 20, uh, chapter 4 and verse 24. In verse 24, and when they heard that, they lifted up their voice. This is after Pentecost, to God with one accord, they were in unity and said, Lord, you're God, man. You made heaven and earth and see, and see all that in them is. Who by the mouth of thy servant David said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth were stood up against the Lord, against his Christ, against the anointed one, of course, and so on. But then you get on down to verse 24, and it says, or verse 29, rather. And now, O Lord, hear their threats, and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders... Be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And after this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled. Can you imagine church when the whole building shakes? Not just one person, not another one, but the whole building shakes, shakes because the power of God's presence, the glory of God causes it to happen. And they were all, notice, filled with the Holy Spirit who did what? Enable them to preach the word with boldness. And it goes on to say all the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace or great blessing was upon them all. What a new dynamic. They're threatened by the authorities. They are let go. They go to their own company. And they tell him what happened, and then they begin to pray. And they look to God to pour out his spirit once again. They're all filled with the Holy Ghost, full of boldness, courageous once again. Miracles take place, signs and wonders take place. And all of a sudden now, these people have one heart, one mind, one accord, walking together, hand in hand, united to do the will of God and accomplish the purpose of his will. So we see now there's boldness to preach and great unity manifested Upon the people. Now how did that happen? How was it facilitated? The Holy Ghost came down. With great power. And that new dynamic was added to their hearts and their lives. That new dimension of the spirit. And you know what? They became love hungry. And they became united together. Unity hungry. But not power hungry. Thank God for the power. But you know what? They were love hungry. Unity hungry. They wanted God to show up on the scene every time they gathered together and they knew how to achieve that goal. Now, I want you to look at John chapter 13 because I realize in Pentecostal circles and charismatic circles, we put an emphasis on the power of the Holy Spirit with the manifestations of the Spirit, which we'll talk a little bit more about on Sunday. But the Holy Spirit descending in the power of God, resting upon the people, Filling the people with Shekinah glory. As a matter of fact, before we look at John 13, let me just say this. We go back to the days of Israelites when Solomon's temple was built. And what do we have? We have the outer court, the inner court, and the most holy place of all. And the daily work took place in the outer court. People can gather out there, enter the gate of praise, which, you know, the house of Judah or the gate of Judah. And then they would go in, only the priest would go into the holy place, and in that place, they would still have a service that they would conduct. But only the high priest, once a year, could go into the holiest place of all. Now, mind you, on earth, this took place in the tabernacle of Moses, and also in Solomon's temple. There is that curtain, that veil, that separates the holy place from the most holy place, and in the most holy place, that Shekinah glory is there, and if you walk in that place without the proper protocol i guarantee you you get fried right there the presence of god is there the shekinah glory of god is there you recall when they began to bring the the uh, ark of the covenant back to, to israel what took place along the way when the two when, when the one went to stay the ark when it was beginning to fall he died the glory of god was there but you know what on the day that jesus died On crucifixion Friday. The veil of that temple. Was ripped in two. From top to bottom. All of a sudden you could look into the holiest place of all. Not a high priest. Anyone. And you could walk in there and not die. Why? The Shekinah glory left. That's why. It went up. Back to the holiest place of all. In heaven. Well guess what? 50 days later. If you recall the story, Jesus said, destroy this temple, in three days I'll rebuild it. Master, it took 46 years to build this thing, and you're going to do it in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. On the third day, he arose from the dead. On the third day, as he left, he went to the high court of heaven. He offered up his blood. He obtained eternal redemption, came back, showed himself alive, went back up, and 50 days days after Passover... Pentecost, the Shekinah glory that was housed in the holiest place of all now finds its way into the temple of God on earth. What? Know ye not that you are the temple of God? You and I, we are the temple of the living God? Yes, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is a separate experience to salvation. When you're saved, You have the character of God. You've got the Holy Spirit in that measure. But when you receive dunamis from on high, power from on high, you are filled with this anointing that Jesus was filled with when he walked upon the earth. The same Shekinah glory that was in that Holy of Holies has now entered into the very heart of the believer, and you and I have become the very sanctuary of the living God, on earth. We're like his mobile home unit and everywhere we go praise God the glory of God goes with us We have this glory in earthen vessels or these jars of clay that we live in that means in our spirit not our flesh But in our spirit. So how powerful is that when you think of that and when the Holy Ghost comes into the life of a believer? There's two powerful things that take place and we're going to see that right now in John's gospel chapter 13 Let's look at verse 35 I call this section love, glory, and unity. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. By the miracles that you do. No, by the books that you read. No. Or by the service that you conduct. No. If you have love one to another. Love is the dynamic that reveals to the world... That we are the children of the Most High God. And that's how they know we are Christians. How? By our love. But then also look at John chapter 17. Because this is part of the high priestly prayer of our Lord and Savior. Before he departed from this life and went up to glory. And had his coronation service. Neither pray I for these alone. That's the disciples, the apostles, those at that time. But for them also which shall believe on me through their words. So as they preach the gospel, others will believe. And that's where we come into play. That they may be one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee. That they also may be one in us. Why? That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory, notice, which thou gavest me. I have given them. What a statement. The glory that he was given. Has he given believers? Why? That they may be one. What creates that dynamic? Glory. Even as we are one. I in them. And thou in me. That they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know. That thou hast sent me. And has loved them as thou hast loved me. What a powerful statement. I want to show you that this is the work of the Holy Spirit. But before I do, I want to once again reiterate what I said about reopening our church. We live in a community just like many others. Some churches, there's not a lot maybe around their building. Right here in this little place where we live, we've got got houses all around our church. We reflect the love of God. To the people in our community. We want to do the right thing. Even though it's lawful for us to do something. It doesn't mean it's expedient. Or, or beneficial. Or profitable for us to do it. We want to work together with other churches. Other believers. And do our very best to represent the Lord well. We want to be concerned about the well-being. Of people in the community. Our congregants. And everyone. Who might just come in and let's say, visit the church as a guest. And that's why we're taking every precaution that we possibly can. And remember the statement, you're wrong if you open, and you're wrong if you don't. If you open it up, you don't care about the people. If you don't open it up, you're a coward and afraid of government. But it's not true. What we want to do is the right thing at the right time with the right heart, so that God gets all the glory and his hand of approval be upon us and he can manifest himself among us in glorious and powerful ways. But let me show you right now in Romans chapter 5, 5. The world knows that we're children of God by love and by unity. And I want you to see in Romans 5, 5 that these are manifestations of the spirit of the living God. In Romans 5, 5, And hope make it not a Why? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. When you're born again, there is a deposit of the agape divine love of God that enters into our innermost being, into our spirit being. We know we pass from death to life. Why? Because we love the brethren. Without question, that is a mark of our born again, new birth experience, that we have the love of God That's in us. We can let it lie there dormant, or we could allow it to live in us and through us and touch the hearts and lives of people that are around us. But then look at Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, and notice this verse Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. How? By the glory of the Father. It was the glory of the Father that raised up Jesus from the dead and raised, up, uh, raised us up with him. That kind of glory comes into us when we become children of the Most High God. So on the day of Pentecost, the glory of God fell. People of God were empowered and they were united and they were equipped. And empowered to do the will of God. To continue the works of Jesus. To continue proclaiming the gospel. And reaching a lost and needing world. With the life changing truths thereof. Well the cowardly became courageous. The self promoting. They became God promoting. Those that were competitors became team members. Those that were divided became united. And the transformed lives of the people became world changers. They impacted their world with the life-changing truths of the gospel. Remember the verse that says, hey, these that turned the world upside down, they've come over here. And they're here by us. You know what, beloved? God wants us to be shining lights in a needy world. In the world of darkness, and the best light that we can shine, number one, is the love of God. And number two, is unity among ourselves. Walking hand in hand. As a matter of fact, before I conclude, and we'll see this in Acts 10.38. You recall the story over there in Acts chapter 5. The church was unified. They were together. They were full of love and unity. They were sharing with each other. They were generous towards each other. There was great grace and great power upon them and among them. And they started giving whatever they had. They sold their possessions and equally passed out whatever they got in to all the people that were there. So that they had all things equal. That's love. That's unity. But Ananias and Sapphira, two individuals that came and just said, you know, let's do this. Let's sell our property for a certain amount of money. And let's give it over to the apostles, but only some of it, not all of it. And when they did so, Peter recognized and realized what took place. And said, you've lied to the Holy Ghost, not men. And they fell over dead. Both of them fell over dead, husband and wife, Ananias and Sapphira. Why? They let the devil... Drop within their heart and their mind to do that. And to do what? Bring division, lie, disunity, disharmony, and judgment fell upon them. And there was great fear among the people. You talk about walking the narrow path. You talking about walking a tightrope when it comes to serving God. Think about it. If we had church services where people would walk in and fall over dead for lying to the Holy Ghost... It might wake people up. I want to conclude by letting us know this. Pentecost is a very important event that's coming up this Sunday. And we're going to celebrate it. It's a time when God began to process the converting of the world to faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. No greater work is there on earth. And also, it was when the gospel message proclaimed provided the anointing of God for people to get saved Filled with the Holy Ghost, healed, delivered, set free, and the list goes on and on. These were common people, fishermen, and so on, that got filled with the Holy Ghost. They weren't scholars, biblical scholars, or any kind of scholar. They were just common people, lay people, empowered by God. You know what? Acts 10.38 says it all. Jesus was perfect in all his ways. Jesus never sinned Jesus was the God man on the earth He's called the second or the last Adam to ever live He obeyed the father Explicitly he fulfilled the law explicitly, but you know what? On the day he came up out of that water of baptism The Spirit of God fell on him like a dove anointed him to do his ministry In Acts 10.38, let's read it. It says it all. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Powerful verse of Scripture. All three of the Godhead were involved in healing all that were oppressed of the devil. God was with him. And my question to all of us this evening is this. If Jesus of Nazareth, the holy, immaculate son of the living God, sinless in all his way, needed to be filled with the Holy Ghost and power, how much more do we, who are living in these natural bodies, these flesh-ruled bodies, need the power of the Holy Spirit? We can't do it in our own strength, our own ability. You've heard my testimony. I would never speak in front of people, ever, ever. I made a vow when I was in, co- in, in college after I gave a speech and shook like a leaf on a tree <laughs> in the wind. I was so afraid to publicly speak. When I got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost came upon me and a new dynamic took place. The power of God came into my life. My tongue was on fire on that day when I got filled with the Holy Ghost. And from that point on, I've been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ fearlessly, where before I was absolutely a coward, to stand in front of people. I vowed I would never do it ever again. But for 40, almost 41 years now, I've been doing it. Not bragging on me, because I would never do it. But the Holy Ghost. Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Jesus was empowered. The disciples were empowered. We too must be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the work of God, Equipped with gifts, talents, and abilities that we all have, no matter who you are. You're empowered to do something. There are no unused members in the body of Christ. You are necessary. You are needed. God loves you. You have a ministry. Don't let the enemy rob you from using your ministry to advance the kingdom of God on the earth. You know why? Because when you leave this realm of life... You want to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Notice he didn't say perfect, but you were good. And you were faithful to do what? Use the gift of God that is within you. Be a good steward of the manifold grace of God, Peter said. You see, it's not you. It's the gift in you provided by the Holy Spirit. Well, I pray that that blessed you tonight and that you're ready and open to receiving the power of the Holy Spirit if you haven't yet in your life. Praise God. Tune in on Sunday. We're going to talk more about this. And we're believing for people to get filled with the Holy Ghost, full of power, transform lives, proclaiming the gospel, being a witness, and doing the work and the will of God faithfully. Praise God. Amen. Now, Father, I thank you for each and every one of us this evening just to stand before your holy throne and presence with hearts that are surrendered to you, with wills that are given over to you. That you might use us as you see fit and choose for the body is yours and you place each member as you will. You anoint and equip each one as you will. I pray for each one to find their place, for each one to have a desire to do their part, To be a part of the program of God. The greatest work on earth. To do something of great value and importance. That is service to your kingdom. To humble themselves. To surrender themselves. To become servants of all. That you might be glorified in and through their lives. That they would be shining lights and witnesses in a world of darkness to hold forth the word of life to this generation. And I thank you Father God for each and every one to let their light shine among men. That they might see their good works and glorify you, our Father in heaven. And that the prayer of our Lord would be fulfilled in all of us as believers. That we would love one another as he loved us. And that we would be in unity and harmony provided by the Holy Ghost power. As you are one with the Father. So Father, we thank you. We believe to receive it. Lift your heart to heaven. Maybe lift your hands. Let the power of God fall on you right now. Submit yourself to the refiner's fire. Father, let the fire fall on me. Change me. Transform me. Search my heart. Try my reins. Cleanse me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I believe I receive it all in Jesus' name.